Unleavened Bread Ministries presents From your hands, your feet, your side Unleavened Bread Bible Studies with David Eels Can quench my thirsting soul Pure as water made me whole Let your streams of mercy flow Oh Jesus, I trust in you Greetings, saints. Many blessings to you. Thank you for joining us today for the Unleavened Bread Bible Study. God bless you and keep you. Father, we just ask you to bless this today, this revelation today in Jesus' name, to touch the folks, um, to warn, and also to encourage in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we've been calling this God Warns of Worse Pestilence. This is number two. And uh, a subtitle you might call Pestilence, Food, and Energy. Lots of things involved here. Many things that we've heard promised are happening now, but don't expect to hear about it on the mainstream media. Although they are having to report on the Biden laptop to avoid the expense of losing all credibility. And it appears the deep state is throwing the Biden crime family under the bus. And what we're hearing from various sources is that very soon we will see a planned global economic collapse. And this will be a worldwide shutdown to change over from the worthless dollar and other things to asset-backed currencies and the new quantitative fact uh, QFS system, economic system of the alliance. Uh, Solar storms may be blamed for the electrical and internet collapse, Um, but back up your computers anyway and be ready. Remember their timings quite often are to provoke the enemy to move so that they can find them and do something. Uh, So, but a lot of things that they say do come to pass. So, um, so back up anything on your computers or online. Also, food and fuel and industrial supply lines will likely collapse. Uh, A large uh, portion of this is due to China's action, uh, which include uh, price controls, which could well tip us over the edge, bringing down many companies around the world and shipping, along with a lot of criminality. Almost the whole world depends on China for food and industrial supplies, electronics, chips, computer parts, plastics of all kinds, so on and so forth. Uh, Many banks could shut down, at least for a few days, to switch over to the QFS, uh, get some cash out, even as the ATMs may go down. Uh, Insiders from early on have warned to have at least two to three weeks worth of food, cash, water, fuel, and essentials. Well, tell your friends who don't know God to be their Jehovah Jireh provider these things. Tell them. The military will be standing by to help also. 
And the rest of you who trust in Jesus, who said in Matthew 6, 25 and 26, you've got nothing to worry about. He said, therefore, I say unto you, be not anxious for your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, nor yet for your body, what you shall put on. Is not the life more than the food and the body than raiment? Behold, the birds of the heavens, that they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are not ye of much more value than they? Obviously the Lord believes so, and he will take care of your needs. Matthew six thirty through 34 says, But if God doth so clothe the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is cast into the oven, Shall he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? Be not therefore anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? Uh, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. But seek ye first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Be not therefore anxious for tomorrow, for the morrow shall be anxious for itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Amen. And Matthew 7, 7 through 12 says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, who, if his son shall ask him a loaf, will give him a stone? Or if he shall ask for a fish, will give him a serpent? Notice he's speaking of food here. And if, if ye then being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to them that ask him? All things, therefore, whatsoever you would that men should do unto you, even so do ye also unto them. For this is the law and the prophets. So, you know, if you see people in need, make sure you meet their needs. If I know that the Lord uh, looks down on hoarders, and the Scripture does too. Uh, meet the needs. Don't worry about tomorrow. Meet the needs, and God will meet your needs, right? The emergency broadcast system with its uh, D-class of deep state crimes and the Starlink quantum internet are said to be very near, uh, along with uh, Project Odin, uh, the switchover will include Tesla Free Energy, which, by the way, has been tested and is still running in some areas of the United States. Uh, I believe the wild card here, of course, is the deep state who desperately want all this to stop. But God is in control. Timing is all in his hands. And we're told that soon there will be only military intelligence, which would uh, cut out a lot of crime, uh, but could eventually phase into, into world crime, uh, since neither beast knows God. Neither the beast that's being conquered nor the one that's conquering it know God. Uh, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny has said that every fully death-jabbed 
vaccinated person over 30 years of age will have AIDS by the end of this year. Well, what do you think about a plague like that? That's a terrible plague coming upon the world there. And also China is in lockdown with a more deadly man-made strain of COVID, which we were expecting and we've had dreams about. And um, Pfizer documents prove that inhalation and skin contact with vaccinated people can infect the unvaccinated with the vaccine problems. It's time for everyone to heed the warnings in God's Word. Um, Our book, God's Vaccine, I'm going to put the link here. You need to know this because this will be a supply for your needs as far as health and deliverance, uh, plagues, pestilences, um, simple steps uh, to be immune from these things. Also, um, I'm going to share another revelation here with you. We call it uh, Famine in Food City. (laughs) Food City can be, of course, a large food city, and that's what I believe it is. Uh, Marie Kelton gave this revelation on 3.26.22. And uh, she said, The Lord gave me an open vision while I was at work in Food City. And I believe it's representing the larger food supply system. Okay. I was cutting cheese on the cheese slicer, and I looked up at where we keep the menu for the food. And it was all gray. Uh, I think gray here could represent a spirit of death from starvation because of what's about to be said here. There were no lights on representing energy and electricity shortages. And the sunlight was shining through the windows, but it was also gray. (laughs) Ooh, terrible. And I looked around and saw that everything looked gray. No one was in the store, and I saw that weeds and grass had grown up all in Food City. And this, of course, could be a warning that without prayer and faith, we will see a desperate situation. Uh, I asked the Lord if this was something that we can change by prayer and faith, and I did get a yes, but he also told me that he would only change it in measure. Okay. So then today, um, she said I was cutting meat for a customer, and I was facing the area where we keep bread and pies, etc., and I had an open vision of of it being gray again and desolate, and weeds and vines had grown in Food City. There were no lights on and no food on the shelves. And then I heard the Lord say, Your house is left unto you desolate. I wasn't sure if I was hearing correctly, so he spoke it again. Your house is left unto you desolate. That was the end of the vision. Well, Matthew 23, 37 through 39 says this, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, that killeth the prophets, and stoneth them that are sent unto her, how often would I have gathered thy children together? 
even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and you would not. Of course, I believe this is talking about the uh, Jerusalem of the church today that we're being warned about. That is the leadership of the church today that we're being warned about is is, uh, why a lot of these tribulations and troubles are coming. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. For I say unto you, you shall not see me henceforth until you say, Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Well, we know the Lord is coming again in his man-child corporate body uh, in the midst of desolation uh, to save his elect and to gather together all the members of the body of Christ. Um, this next revelation, it, we called it Beast Engineered Energy and Food Shortages. And this was Vanessa Weeks' gift. Um, I dreamed I was standing on the sidewalk in front of an Atlantic and Pacific, that's A&P, grocery store. Uh, And that represents in this dream um, that it's occurring all over the United States from the Atlantic to the Pacific. That's the A&P. And in the dream, I was thinking about Kathy, meaning pure. That's Lakeisha's mom telling me that she used to work at an A&P in Texas, meaning friends. And I believe this is signifying a pure message given to the friends of God. The outside of the store was box-shaped like Kentucky Fried Chicken. Um, And this could represent that the fast food stores are, are going down too. And it was all um, orange uh, and brown, except for the white letters of A and P, and a white picture of Colonel Sanders on the sign. Well, we know that orange and brown are fall colors, and uh, fall could be a, a play on words, as we are watching the fall of the deep state right now. And factions are falling along with the economy. The rigged election, forced vaccinations, news media, internet, deep state satellites, electricity, on and on. Well, God is giving us a short time to prepare the church for the Great Tribulation when uh, liberal communists will once again gain control to bring the church to her cross. And all the great things coming now will ultimately be given over to the last beast. That's right. I believe there is another one following. In the middle of the tribulation period, we know a beast is raised up. Okay. And I wondered if the store was open, and I looked into a front window and saw small tables and chairs like a restaurant. And all the lights were out. It was the middle of the day, and I realized uh, it was closed. They are being closed from the Atlantic to the Pacific. You know, the deep state has been destroying all the food sources to break the supply chain. And the restaurant uh, being closed represents the shutdown of the economy and the food shortage. And all of this... uh, 
evil is being realized even by the liberals and uh, will fall. Um, communism, liberalism, the Democratic Party are falling, uh, and they will for a short time to give us time to rebuild the kingdom. We praise God for that. But I opened the front door, and I went in anyway, and it was very dim there, and I saw cobwebs everywhere. Well, cobwebs represent that the supply chain is currently breaking down. And then I knew that this store had gone out of business because they could not pay their debts. And this is what actually happened to A&P. <laughs> but I did not know that until after I had this dream. So um, we're thinking that the easy money printing policies of the Federal Reserve has caused a massive debt bubble that will eventually bankrupt the world and cause a global reset. And many small businesses and individuals will be the hardest hit um, of the planned financial collapse. Uh, the GCR will infuse tons of money to turn this around as Trump goes back officially in office. But we know that the truth is really that he is not coming back because he never left. In fact, he stated that. And I believe him. There were stairs in the middle of the restaurant, and I walked up the stairs and saw empty cardboard boxes. Like this was their supply room. And I believe this represents shipping and receiving failed, and supply lines failed, and uh, the supply chain shortages are breaking the backs of these businesses and industry all over the world. As I walked back down the stairs, I saw many cobwebs. The warning is that they were not brought back quickly, as suspected, and that there would be a delay. And we're being shown to pray against this delay. That's what I think it's saying. And back at the lower level, which looked like a restaurant, I saw that people had left things behind very suddenly. Uh, could represent that these events are taking place very quickly and suddenly before most people who are not awake have time to prepare. And I also saw a few original Edison light bulbs hanging from the ceiling and knew that this store was only getting electricity two or three hours a day. Well, many countries around the world are experiencing an engineered energy crisis and are having to ration electricity, uh, which I believe will soon fail. But they have a backup, and I've told you about that. And uh, she said, after I woke up, I thought that maybe this has to do with the electric energy being switched over to Tesla energy. I believe that's so, and I believe they're ready to use that. Um, of course, we know the wild card out there is uh, the deep state, but also God. Everything is in God's hands, right? Men think that they can do something, but we can do nothing without God, right? The stores closed uh, when electricity was failing and, and before it was changed to Tesla Free Energy, looks like. And the system failed for lack of electricity and supply lines. 
vehicles need the gas and diesel electric pumps at the stations to run. And I asked the Lord if we should pray that the electrical switchover and supply lines would be restored quickly and got a yes. And this this dream is a warning that if Christians do not pray, this switchover to the new economy uh, and the new electricity can fail. And I asked him about the Edison light bulb and received by faith at random uh, Zephaniah 3.10. In context, 7 through 13, I said, surely you will fear me, you will accept correction. Hmm. Then your dwelling would not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you. Well, I think that means, of course, that Christians must repent of their wandering from the word and and cling to the ancient light given to the apostolic fathers. But all the more, uh, they were eager to make all their deeds corrupt, he said. So they turn against the word and um, to be taken into the beast captivity. Yeah. Because that's what's going to happen when people can't do the things they need to do to, to make a living is you're at the mercy of the government. Unless, of course, you've learned to believe in God. <laughs> So therefore, wait for me, he says, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey. Well, judgment shall fall also upon the global community. For my decision is to gather the nations, that's the global community, to assemble kingdoms and pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger. For in the fire of my jealousy, all of the earth shall be consumed. For at that time, I will change the speech of the peoples to a pure speech. Boy, I tell you, it is not today. Um, in other words, many will come to repentance through these judgments and begin to agree with the word of God, right? So that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. Amen. Amen. And verse 10 says, From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughter of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. Well, I believe Christians must confess their sins. They're walking in darkness <laughs> and claim the blood of the Lamb for their sacrifice, uh, calling upon the Lord. On that day, you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds of by which you have rebelled against me. For then I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones, and you shall no longer be haughty in my holy mountain. There's a lot of proud Christians out there. But I will leave in your midst a people humble and lowly. They shall seek refuge in the name of the Lord. Those who are left in Israel... They shall do no injustice and speak no lies. In other words, there's going to be a falling away of the wicked. Nor shall there be found in their mouth a deceitful tongue. For they shall graze and lie down, and none shall make them afraid. Oh, praise God. So let us cast down the delays by the deep state and push them to the Red Sea so that the people can have revival 
on the other side and be ready for the wilderness tribulation. Amen. So Ebrass got this on 2.10.22. We called it Faith Tested for Provision. Mm-hmm. I dreamed that I was in a small room with David and Michael and several other local UBM brethren. This room had white walls and blue indoor-outdoor carpet. The white walls represent sanctification from the world, and blue on the floor represents a heavenly walk. I had another sister each brought um, a package of eight flour tortillas, tortillas, uh, totaling 16, to distribute to the brethren in the room. And everyone in the dream was hungry, and these two packages of tortillas was all that we had to feed everyone with. And I knew in the dream that there was extreme lack and shortage of food all around the country. Well, aside from the obvious um, literal problem that we can see, that uh, spiritually speaking, there is a famine of the word also. Tortillas are unleavened bread, meaning the pure word. And eight is the number of Jesus, who is the bread of life. Okay, so obviously this rationing is going to have to be something people are going to have to learn to deal with. And that's why we need to know our Jehovah Jireh, our provider. We started to pass them out, but realized that there wasn't going to, that this, this wasn't physically going to be able to go around because the young men and the older men would need more to keep up their strength. Well, a couple of things you can see here. The evangelists and the teachers should be the first to receive the message so that they can distribute it. But literally, Christians are going to be tested as to whether they can believe the word or not. Matthew 6 and 26 says, Behold the birds of the heaven that they sow not, neither do they reap nor gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feedeth them. So they don't do any of man's works to provide, but God still feeds them. Are not ye of much more value than they? Meaning God will certainly take care of you if he feeds the birds, right? So we gave the men a larger portion, and the women and children got a little, just enough to sustain them. Well, we should remember that Jesus multiplied the fishes and the loaves, and he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he will do it in our day, too, as we have seen. Yes. David and I realized that there wouldn't uh, even be enough this way, so we decided to fast and give our portions to the men and just pray that the Lord would supernaturally multiply the food for us all. Yes, that's the answer. And many will wake up in uh, this desperate situation to learn from Jesus how, how to multiply the food. He demonstrated it for his disciples, and he's the same. And then I woke up. Psalm 132, 13 through 15 says, For the Lord hath chosen Zion. He hath desired it for his habitation. This is my resting place forever. Here will I dwell. For I have desired it, and I will abundantly bless 
her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. All right, I do believe Zion is going to feed multitudes of people because God is going to bless Zion. And 2 Corinthians 9, 7-13, Let each man do according as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, meaning it's not the tithe, the law of the tithe. For God loveth a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound unto you, that you having always all sufficiency in everything may abound unto every good work. As it is written, He has scattered abroad, he hath given to the poor. His righteousness abideth forever. Well, those who uh, give will receive, and those who hoard will not. I can assure you. And he that supplieth seed to the sower and bread for food shall supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the fruits of your righteousness you being enriched in everything unto all liberality. Wow, this is such a powerful promises here. Which worketh through us thanksgiving to God for the ministration of this service not only filleth up the measure of the wants of the saints, yeah, this giving and multiplying, yeah, but aboundeth also through many thanksgivings unto God. Yes, people give thanks unto God for doing these things seeing that through the proving of you by this ministration they glorify God for the obedience of your confession unto the gospel of Christ and for the liberality of your contribution unto them and unto all. So, in the natural, uh, one of the testimonies for provision for my family after we ran out of all of our food one day uh, were tested with a fast for one day uh was my wife asked what will we do and i said set the table and then the seven of us sat down and i prayed a real simple prayer which is the only kind i know i said father you sent us here so we ask you to fill these plates or fill our stomachs yes simple prayer then my children one by one said dad my stomach is full and then they began to get up from the table. Then I realized that my stomach was full also. Uh, well, Philippians 4.19, And my God shall supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We can't limit God. You know, Jesus multiplied the fishes and the loaves, and that's a good thing. I mean, what you've got, he can multiply he can also make it where there isn't anything to multiply it, like he did in this situation. So you can't get anywhere God can't take care of you. And this fits the natural and the spiritual, by the way. Another time we ran out of food except for one pot of spaghetti, and we blessed it and ate half of it and then put the rest in the refrigerator. And in the morning, we took it out, and the pot was full again. Well, like the Israelites, you can't get anywhere in your wilderness where God can't supply your needs, physical and spiritual. Well, here's another one. Uh, we, it's called Another Pestilence is Coming. And this is Mena Lee Jones, Faithful Walk Healing Ministries. 
Okay, 329.22. And I would like to share a vision the Lord gave me in the wee hours of this morning. I saw a list appear in front of me. The list was held up, and it looked as if it was a scroll. There were numbers listed from 1 to 4. However, they were in descending order like a countdown. 4, 3, 2, 1. The numbers 4 through 2 each had a single word written next to them. However, I could only make out what the word next to number 4 was, and it was cooperation. There is a cooperation between all of the countries to usher in a new world order. The deep state plans to accomplish this in uh, well, through, I would say, a famine and human suffering. And if they control the food and access to health care, then you control the people. But also, there's going to be a lot of cooperation between people when disasters like this happen. It usually happens, and people learn that they like to do that. And it really helps. So she said, as my eyes scanned to number one, I noticed there wasn't a word next to it. And all of a sudden, I saw a creature begin to emerge out of the paper next to the number one. It was pitch black with long claws, and it had a wing that resembled a raven's wing. And ravens often symbolize uh, harbingers of doom and death. They're associated with the occult and psychic powers and are frequently portrayed as the companions of witches and wizards. She said, I turned my head before it completely emerged, but I quickly asked the Lord what it was that he was showing me. And the Lord answered swiftly, another pandemic is coming. My vision then ended. Well, I would say famine and pestilence kind of go together, obviously. And Jeremiah 32 and 24 says, Behold the mounds, they are come unto the city to take it. Talk about building up mounds to overcome a city, right? And the city is given into the hand of the Chaldeans that fight against it because of the sword, of the famine, and of the pestilence. And what thou hast spoken is come to pass, and behold, thou seest it. And Mena went on to say, As many of you know, I was shown the current pandemic first in June of 2016, and then I was told again in 2017 in August, and finally in July of 2018 that a pestilence would sweep across the planet. Mm-hmm. I found myself a little distraught this morning and sort of dazed, but the Lord had already told me two months prior that we would have a small window to get things done, Uh, this meaning ministry. He had spoken this to me as far as making plans for conferences and travel this year, and the Lord said that we would have a small window where it would be safe to travel, but soon the door will be closed again. So, at the time, he didn't reference as to why or what was going to take place that would close that window. Well, saints, we 
are in uh, the birth pangs, and if you understand labor as the time for birth draws nigh, the contractions become stronger and closer together. I remember when I was in labor with my firstborn, she said, and it got to the point where my contractions were only 65 seconds apart. And this is how things that are unfolding on the earth are starting to feel. And yet, there are so many in the church that have been lulled to sleep by a satanic lullaby um, because they believe things are going to get better. Well, I believe some things are going to get better, and I think some things are going to get worse. The New Agers are trying to convince everyone that the book of Revelation is wrong and it shouldn't be in the Bible. And... Our thousand years of peace has come. Well, they're going to find out differently. That's, you know, and she says, as with all things, take this to prayer. Okay. Isaac Payne sent this for 2622, and we named it COVID Mutates. In this dream, I saw a glimpse of a news reporter on the TV, and I couldn't hear the news reporter as there was no audio on the TV. It was basically a, a brief picture that I witnessed in this dream. The reporter was a man in a business suit. The headline that appeared on the news said, COVID mutates. One million people die. I knew in this dream that this mutation killed one million people within days. And then I woke up. Well, um, I repeat, uh, Dr. Sherry Tenpenny has said that every fully death-jabbed, <laughs> vaccinated person over 30 years of age will have AIDS by the end of this year. And that's a terrible plague, of course, because it destroys your immune system so that anything else can take you down, too. So I, I believe you need to learn to trust in the Lord and receive healing from Him. He is faithful to do exactly what he did in the scriptures. And Bill Steenland, 7620, shared this. Deep State releases a worse plague. This is an old one, but it fit here so well. Prepare for a second plague, not like the first. Uh, I told you that COVID-19, this is my note, by the way, which was put in it before, uh, I told you that COVID-19 did not fulfill all that the Lord told us three years ago that he would do with the plague to bring down the factions and the apostates and that I expected more plague. And then we received this from Bill on uh, July the 6th, 2020. Bill said, I had this dream. Uh, in this dream, the Lord allowed me to follow the Satanists into a very rich, high-rise, private apartment condo in New York. I knew that they had infiltrated the CDC and the WHO and were executing a plan for their Satanic New World Order. The dream changed, and I was still in the same condo at a small medical facility where people were dropping like flies from some unknown pathogen or contagion. There were three women and two men who were so sick that they were unable to function. 
I tried to grab one woman closest to me while she was falling, and in the dream I knew the elite were experimenting with the next pandemic. I said, ma'am, ma'am, what's wrong? Get up. Again and again, but she was dead. I went over to the nurse who was in a back room, and I could tell she knew something and was divided about it. She was very sad and on her knees, and I knew it was partially because she was totally helpless to assist uh, or medicate the sick that were there. I picked her up off the ground and somewhat screamed at her, What is happening to these people? She told me, Don't ask me that question as she cried in fear and sadness. I yelled again for her to tell me everything you know. What's happening to these people? She again told me not to ask that question. She knew that they were victims of a trial run for the next pandemic. In the dream, I just knew it. That's the info that kept coming to me in the dream, next pandemic and trial run experiment. Yeah. I'm going to share you a few clips here. Um, From Operation Disclosure. Chinese scientists have developed a deadly coronavirus called Neocov, capable of giving a mortality rate of 34% compared to 1.6% for COVID-19. It was described in a scientific article dated January 25, 2022, published by Chinese scientists from Wuhan University. I'll give you the link here. So, uh, Neocov is a, a member of the group of coronaviruses, one of which caused an outbreak of Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, MERS, in 2012, which killed 34% of the approximately 2,500 people infected with it. And according to the Chinese authors, Neocov binds not only to the BAT-DPP4 receptor found in most MERS coronaviruses, but also weakly binds to ACE2, which is a human receptor for the highly transmissive COVID-19 virus. So they kind of jumped it up a step, I guess. Similar to the laboratory creation of COVID-19, Chinese scientists have again taken a coronavirus found in nature and artificially manipulated it, uh, its structure to infect people, but now with a virus capable of giving a mortality rate of 34% compared to 1.6% per COVID-19. It is becoming obvious that China is using the threat of new viral diseases, and I believe this is the Chinese Communist Party, um, not the people that are working for a republic there, uh, as a cover for its biological warfare program. The recent uh, January 2021 says it's, is alarming and indicative for the development of biological weapons, the interest shown by the Chinese scientists in the furin cleavage site Neocove. Uh, another article there. Okay, uh, if you're in fear and driven towards the next pandemic, <laughs> 
uh, or next vaccine suicide, try God. Jesus is still the same, and he heals all who come to him by repentance and faith. Hebrews 13 and 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today, yea, and forever. And if you do not believe this, you are an apostate and are in danger. Read Revelations. A large portion of the earth will die from these plagues. Romans 1 and 17. For therein is revealed a righteousness of God from faith unto faith, as it is written, But the righteous shall live by faith. That's right. And Jesus bore your sin and its curse. 1 Peter 2.24 Who his own self bare our sins in his body upon the tree, that we, having died unto sins, might live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. So, the moral of this story is don't be an apostate. Learn of your biblical provision for health. And matter of fact, you can look in our book. I'll put a link to it here, God's Vaccine Book. It put, lays it out very simple for you. Um, we, all of this is a test and a trial to see who is who, you know, um, who are believers. It is necessary. We're headed towards the tribulation. It is necessary for people to learn to walk by faith. There is no man you can trust in in those days. And uh, we're in the midst of a great falling away of Christianity from what was given to us in the book, which is the only word of God that we have. Uh, God's proven his book through this numeric pattern that we have on our site. Uh, it's not in the uh, apocryphal books. And a lot of people point that out and say there should be more books taken out of the Bible. Well, they're just full of baloney. They don't know what they're talking about. Uh, the 66 books have a numeric pattern in them, and it hasn't been found in any of the rest of the books. I'm not saying that some of the other books aren't good and have good uh, edification in them. I'm just saying they're not on the level of perfection that the 66 books are. So, and we prove that on our site. You can go there in Revelations and Teachings, and we have several teachings on the numerics. We also have a numeric uh, New Testament, which was uh, put out by Ivan Pannon, and uh, we've updated it a little bit, not changing anything uh, except some uh, uh, antiquated words which people do not understand. We uh, put the change them. But other than that, it's pretty much the same. And um, Ivan Pannon discovered that you can find out where uh, the Bible has been added to and where it's been taken away from. And there, every letter in the original Greek and Hebrew uh, fits together in a pattern. You've heard about skip sequences, how there are many messages in the Bible. If you go, say, every 10 words or every 100 words or every 15 words or whatever and go all the way through the Bible, um, you find a message there, many messages there, as a matter of fact. 
But you need to start with something that's numeric because that puts every letter in its place. That's the point. Now, you, there are, there is, and we do publish it on our site, a numeric New Testament where the letters are in place. So you can find these skip sequences and many things that God has written below the text or hidden in the text. Uh, God only can write an intelligible text like that with patterns on top of patterns on top of patterns. Men don't have the ability to do that. And that's the way the Bible is. The whole Bible is that way. And when they say the book of Revelation doesn't belong in the Bible, they don't know what they're talking about. We have absolute proof the book of Revelation belongs in the Bible. Absolute proof. And you can go to our section called Revelations and Teachings and read the numeric stuff, and you'll see what I mean. Okay? And by the way, you, you may have faith in a Bible that wasn't very good because it wasn't using the right ancient manuscripts. This numeric pattern proves which manuscripts are right, where they're right, where they're wrong. And Ivan spent probably 50 years of his life doing this to get this to us. And, uh, of course, the Old Testament is also being worked on, and uh, not by him, but uh, others. And uh, it's, it's astounding. This is a, an amazing miracle, the Bible. There is no writings out there by men that have such a pattern at all. None at all. Uh, and so people shouldn't be adding to the Bible in any way or taking away from it in any way. But religions love to do that. And, of course, they are um, you know, basically blaspheming God and not respecting his word by doing, picking and choosing things. And that's what they do. They pick and choose instead of take it all. And that's why God gave us this pattern to show what is right and what is wrong. And I want to say, too, that it doesn't matter which Bible you pick up. You can get some edification out of it, and you should be reading it, okay? Uh, you can go to our site and, and read the numeric English New Testament. There's, of course, a numeric Greek New Testament also, um, but you can go to our site and read that. And uh, it's very edifying, very easy to read. And um, God, God is in it. God is in it. Remember, he wrote in the end of the book. Um, if you added to his words, he was add to you the plagues that are written in the book. We're watching it. And if you took away from his book, he would take away your part in the tree of life. Well, that's really serious. So what does religion do? They do exactly what God warned them not to do. And why are some, so many people dying early or dying because they're trusting in men who have a depopulation agenda? Huh? Oh, my goodness. Get back to the Bible. God still heals the same way he did back then in the Gospels. His disciples carried on with this. And there was, of course, a falling away because religions came in and divided up God's people and, and um, sowed a lot of garbage uh, for doctrine, and so on. So anyway, we just ask that you um, you seek the Word of God, that you seek your God for these coming days, because this is not going to end. Read the book of Revelation. This is not ending, okay? 
They are planning on killing a lot of people, and the Bible declares that they will do it. Do you want to be one of them? Would you like to come to maturity before that happens? We all have to bear fruit, you know. There is a great falling away. We just ask that you uh, run to God, get your book, read your book. It's more important than any man's works out there. When I write books, I I like to put uh, as much Bible in there as possible, and I like to have, I believe what the Bible says in the original, the sum of thy words is truth. You, you can't just pick and choose verses. The sum of thy words is truth. Everything has to fit. The, the Bible is made that way with this numeric pattern. Everything has to fit, or it's not the truth. I think it's Aletheia, truth which means nothing left out. (laughs) God has thought of everything. So run after the Lord. Uh, Choose Him. Choose um, life. And uh, get the Word down in your heart because you can take it with you anywhere. Get it in your heart. Speak it. Uh, uh, Confess it. Uh, for for man believes unto righteousness, with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So you believe it and you confess it. Uh, faith without works is dead. When you believe the word of God, you confess it. Listen, by the stripes of Jesus you were healed. First Peter 2.24 And he already bore your sins in his body upon the tree. If you repent and confess your sins, he will forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness, and you have every right to receive healing from him, by whose stripes ye were healed. So, don't be an apostate. Turn to God. Love him. Love his truth. I began doing that many years ago, over 50 years ago. And I sat down to read the Bible and um, continued until this day. And it saved my life several times just because I held fast to the Word of God. And you can do it too. God promises you. There's no condemnation, and we're not bringing any condemnation on anybody for a lack of faith, you know. Uh, But if you get into the Word of God, you will get faith. Faith cometh of hearing, and hearing by the word. So, uh, yes, we all start out weak, but we can gain by putting the word into our hearts. The Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, uh, transformed into what? Jesus is the word of God. Jesus needs to live in you. The Christian life is Jesus living the Christian life in you. It's not you trying to pull yourself up by your bootstraps, right? It's Jesus in you. And you put the Word in you to the extent you humble yourself to the Word in you. You're humbling yourself to Jesus Christ. And to the extent that you agree with the Word, you're going to see miracles. I've had a very miraculous life. And I want it for you, too. You're going to see miracles. Get the Word in your heart. It's more important than anything else. You don't even need a hobby in these days, folks. Look what's coming. You don't need hobbies. You don't need distractions. You don't need religion. You need Jesus and the Word of God in your heart. 
and you can get the concentrated truth right in your house. Get used to reading it, studying it, putting it in your heart so that Jesus can be in you and can do this work in you and can heal your lost loved ones and and can heal people around you and you can be used to save your family and other people from dying. This is very, very important. Well, all right. Thank you so much, and God bless you. Thank you for joining us today. And uh, we pray also uh, for Michael and the brethren, Lord, that the Lord will bless them mightily, Lord. And uh, in Jesus' name, thank you so much, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, Brother David, and God bless you. Hello, saints. Good to be back with you again. Let's go to the Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in us. We thank you for your son that you sent to us to give us that example on how to walk, Lord. And uh, we praise you, Father, for the opportunity to relate about the wonderful name of Jesus. And I ask for your anointing upon us. And uh, Lord, we thank you for this wonderful man, E.W. Kenyon, that gave this out several years ago, many years ago. But it's, it's been a blessing to a lot of people, and I hope it's a blessing to all the people out there. In G- I pray that it's a blessing for the people that are out there. In Jesus' name, thank you, Lord. Well, folks, uh, that's what I want to do today uh, is relate a wonderful article that E.W. Kenyon wrote many years ago. It's called The Wonderful Name of Jesus. And it starts out, he says, several years ago, I was holding meetings in a city in Tennessee. <clears throat> One afternoon, while giving an address on the name of Jesus, a lawyer interrupted me asking, do you mean to say that Jesus gave us the power of attorney, the legal right to use his name? And I said to him, brother, you are a lawyer and I'm a layman. Tell me. Did Jesus give us the power of attorney? He said, if language means anything, then Jesus gave to the church the power of attorney. Then I asked him, what is the value of this power of attorney? He answered, it depends upon how much there is back of it, how much authority, how much power this name represents. Then I began to search to find out how much power and authority that Jesus had. The measure of his ability is the measure of the value of that name. And all that is invested in that name belongs to us. For Jesus gave us the unqualified use of his name. John sixteen twenty four says, Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be made full. Jesus here not only gives us the use of his name, but he also declares that the prayer prayed in his name will receive his special attention. Whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Jesus says, you ask of the Father in my name, I will endorse that, and the Father will give it to you. This puts prayer on a purely legal basis, for he has given us the legal right to use his name. 
And as we take our privileges and rights in the new covenant and pray in Jesus' name, it passes out of our hands into the hands of Jesus. He then assumes the responsibility of that prayer. And we know that he said in John eleven forty one and 42, Father, I thank thee that thou heard me, and I know that thou hearest me always. In other words, we know that the Father always hears Jesus. And when we pray in Jesus' name, it's as though Jesus himself were doing the praying. He takes our place. This places prayer not only on legal grounds, but makes it a business proposition. When we pray, we take Jesus' place here to carry out his will, and he takes our place before the Father. He said that it should not only cover our prayer life, but it also can be used in our combat against the unseen forces that surround us. And these signs shall accompany them that believe, or literally, the believing ones. Every child of God is a believing one. In my name, they shall cast out demons, they shall speak with new tongues, they shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall in no wise hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Well, here he's revealing his part in the Great Commission. And in that great document, he says, All authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. And I'm sending you out to make disciples of all nations. Lo, I am with you always. He is with us in the power and authority of his name. Well, what does the name mean to the Father, to the church, and to Satan? Well, to the Father, it must mean more than our hearts or minds will ever grasp. But we can suggest a little of the wealth that the Father has stored in that name. First, he inherited a more excellent name than any of the angels as the first begotten son. Second, God gave to him a name above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in the three worlds. Third, by his conquest over sin, Satan, disease, death, hell, and the grave, he acquired a name that is above all names. Glory to God. When Jesus gave us the legal right to use this name, the Father knew all that that name would imply when breathed in prayer by oppressed soul, and it is his joy to recognize that name. So the possibilities enfolded in that name are beyond our understanding. And when he says to the church, whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he's given us a signed check on the resources of heaven and asking us to fill it in. It would pay the church to begin an exhaustive study of the resources of Jesus in order to get a measurement of the wealth that name holds for her today. And before we go further in the study of the name of Jesus, it would be well for us to know something of the man, see his standing in heaven, his achievements in the plan of redemption, and the glory and honor that belongs to him today as he sits at the right hand 
of the majesty on high. Now let's turn to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. God, having of old time spoken unto the fathers in the prophets by diverse portions and in diverse manners, that means a message here and a message there, hath at the end of these days spoken unto us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the worlds, who being the effulgence of his glory and the very image of his substance and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had made purification of sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high, having become by so much better than the angels as he hath inherited a more excellent name than they. God spoke through men of old by special illumination of their minds. But in these last days, he speaks unto us in the person of his son. And it is more than through him, it is more than by him, it is God manifest in the flesh, carrying out his will, speaking his own inner thoughts in the life and the acts of the Son. Not only did he speak through Jesus, but more especially was God manifest in the Son. It was God in Christ. And from this new throne, the body of his Son, he is speaking to man in a new revelation of himself. To this Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and who being the outshining of his very glory, <clears throat> and the very image of his substance, and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had made a substitution for sins, when he had satisfied every claim of justice and met every need of man, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, the highest seat in the universe. <clears throat> when God speaks through man, he must absolutely take possession of the man so the man will not use his reasoning faculties. But in the case of Jesus, it was not possession. It was the eternal son himself. He could say, Father, give me the glory I had with thee before the world were. He remembered his place in the Father's bosom. He, would, he, he could say, I came out from the Father. I came into the world. Again, I leave the world and go unto the Father. Have I been so long time with you and dost thou not know me? He that has seen me has seen the Father. He was the revelation of the Father. He didn't have to imitate God. He was God. Some men are born to a great name as a czar or a king. Others make their name great by achievements or have a great name conferred upon them. Jesus is great because he inherited a great name. His name is great because of achievements. He's great because of a great name was conferred upon him. He inherited a greater name than any angelic being, and as a son, he is heir of all things. And through him, the ages have been brought into being. He is the effulgence, the very outshining of the Father. His name comes to him as an inheritance and what it must have been to have inherited this name from his great father God. In Philippians chapter 2 and verse 9 and 10, we find, 
Wherefore also God highly exalted him and gave unto him the name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of the beings in heaven and the beings on earth and the beings under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And if it tells us in Hebrews that he inherited a greater name than the angels, here it declares that God gave unto him the name which is above every name. And the inference is that there was a name known in heaven, unknown elsewhere, and this name was kept to be conferred upon someone who should merit it. And Jesus, as we know him, the eternal son, as he is known in the bosom of the Father, was given this name. And at this name, every knee shall bow in the three worlds, heaven, earth, and hell. And every tongue shall confess that he is Lord of the three worlds to the glory of God the Father. It is this being who has given us the right to use his name in Ephesians 1 and 17, we find a prayer by Paul, a most unusual prayer. He prays that the Father will open the eyes of our understanding that we may know something of the riches of the Father's inheritance in us and then that our eyes may be opened that we may see what is the exceeding greatness of his power on our behalf who believe. He declares it is according to the working of the strength of God's might, which was wrought in the dead body of Jesus when he raised him from among the dead, and when he raised him and made him to sit at the right hand in the heavens, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion ever named that is named not only in this age, but in that which is to come, and he gave him to be head over all things for the benefit of his church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all things in all. He not only inherited a more excellent name than any other being in the universe, God not only gave him a name before which every being in the three worlds shall bow and confess his lordship, but here God has given to him a name which is above every name, and he has seated him in the highest place in the universe and has made him head over all things. God has made this investment for the benefit of the church. He's made this deposit on which the church has a right to draw for her every need. He has given to him the name that has within it the fullness of the Godhead, the wealth of the eternities, and the love of the heart of the Father God. And that name is given to us. We have the right to use that name against our enemies. We have the right to use it in our petitions. We have the right to use it in our praises and our worships. That name has been given unto us. But this is only the beginning of the wonders and the value of the greatness of that name. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 15, we get a deeper view of his conquest of the satanic forces just before he rose from the dead. Having despoiled the principalities and the powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. 
And the picture here is of Christ in the dark regions of the lost, in awful combat with the hosts of darkness. It gives us a glimpse of the tremendous battle and the victory that Jesus won before he rose from the dead. The margin reads, having put off from himself the principalities and powers, and it's evident that the whole demon host, when they saw Jesus in their power, simply intended to swamp him, overwhelm him, and they held him in fearful bondage until the cry came forth from the throne of God that Jesus had met the demands of justice, that the sin problem was settled, and man's redemption was a fact. And when this cry reached the dark regions, Jesus rose and hurled back the hosts of darkness and met Satan in an in awful combat as described in Hebrews 2 and 14, in order that through death he might paralyze him that held the dominion of death, that is the devil. In other words, after Jesus had put off from himself the demon forces and the awful burden of guilt, sin, and sickness that he carried with him down there, he grappled with Satan, conquered him, left him paralyzed, whipped, and defeated. The words that Jesus spoke are fulfilled in Luke chapter 11, verses 21 and 22. When a strong man fully armed guards his own court, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger man than he shall come upon him and overcome him, he takes from him his whole armor wherein he trusted and divides his spoils. So when Christ rose from the dead, he not only had the keys of death and of hell, but he had the very armor in which Satan trusted. He has defeated the devil. He has defeated all of hell. And he stands before the three worlds, heaven, earth, and hell, as the undisputed victor over man's ancient destroyer. He conquered Satan before his own cohorts, his own servants in the dark regions of the damned, and there he stood in that dread place, the absolute victor and master. Praise be to God forevermore. Is it any wonder that fresh from such tremendous victories he should say to the disciples, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. Praise God. He stands as the master and the ruler of the universe. His name now is above every name. And at his name we can understand how every knee shall bow. And all this authority and power that Jesus gained by his mighty conquest is in that name. And he has given that name to us. The authority that he has won is delegated to us in the use of his name. All he was and is, is in that name. All he is today is in that name. And that name, of course, is ours. Jesus was given that name that he might give it to us. He gave his name to us that we might carry out the will of the Father in this dispensation in which we are living. We know the early church utilized this authority. The early church acted for Jesus in his stead. They wrought miracles and the miracles opened doors for ministry and service. It gave authority to their credentials, a standing in the communities where they preached. They had the coin 
of the unseen kingdom. The omnipotence of God was invested in that name in the early church, and the disciples used it with a fearless abandonment that is absolutely thrilling. They believed in God. They lived and walked in the realm of the supernatural. It was the days of God on earth to the people where they ministered. It might be well for us now to look at the promises Jesus made in regard to the use of his name. It says in John 14 and 13, And whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, this is a striking promise when we realize that Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, that Jesus holds the high, highest position in the universe as the head of the church. And here is the chart of promise. Hitherto ye have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and ye shall receive, that your joy may be made full. John 16 and 14. Jesus says, Hitherto or up to this time you have never prayed in my name, but now whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. This promise is the most staggering statement that perhaps ever fell from the lips of the man of Galilee, that we are to have the use of his name, that name of omnipotence. He doesn't say if we believe or if we have faith. This name has been given to us. It's ours. What is mine? I do not need faith to use. When we are born into the family of God, the right to use the name and the privilege to use it comes with the new birth. All the authority vested in that name is given to us to bring glory to the name of the Father and that the Father may be glorified in the Son. This son who was an outcast on the earth and crucified, hung naked before the world, his name shall go ringing down through the ages. And wherever the shame of the crucifixion has gone, the glory and might and power and honor of that name will go. Wherever men have ridiculed Jesus, that name will go. Wherever men have cursed that man, that name will go with its omnipotence, its might and power, shedding blessings and healing and comfort upon the human race and honor and glory to God the Father. He now is to be with us in the power of that name. That name is to take his place. All that he could do locally then can he do locally now by every believer. In other words, he multiplies himself as rapidly as he multiplies the church. For the weakest son has a legal right now to all the grace and might and power and blessing and health and healing and life enwrapped in the person who bore that name. All that Jesus was, his name is. All that Jesus was, that name will ever be during this dispensation. That name has lost none of the power of the man who bore it. In these scriptures, we have seen that the Father has lifted him to the highest position in the universe. He has conferred upon him the highest name in the universe. He has bestowed upon him honor and glory and power and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenlies, 
far above ever known authority. And now all this honor, this glory, this authority, this power is vested in the name of Jesus. And this name is given to us. Oh, that our eyes were opened, that our souls would dare rise into the realm of omnipotence, where the name would mean to us all that the Father has invested in it, that we would act up to our high privileges in Christ Jesus. This is practically an unexplored tableland in Christian experience. Here and there, some of us have experienced the authority vested in the name of Jesus. We have seen the lame walk, the deaf hear, the blind see, those on the verge of death brought back instantly to health and vigor. But so far, none of us have been able to take a permanent place in our privileges and abide where we may enjoy the fullness of this mighty power. But we have a conviction that before the Lord Jesus returns, there will be a mighty army of believers who will learn the secret of living in the name of reigning in life, living the victorious, transcendent resurrection life of the Son of God among men. And if our minds could only grasp the fact that Satan is paralyzed, he is stripped of his armor by the Lord Jesus Christ, and that disease and sickness are servants of Jesus, that at his voice they must depart. It would be easy to live in this resurrection realm. You remember in Matthew 8, when the centurion talked with Jesus, he said, just speak the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man set under authority. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. You have been set over diseases. I am set over these hundred men and am called a satirian. So you are a master over disease and sickness, over demons and the laws of nature, and all you have to do is to speak and your servants obey, as I speak and my servants obey. In this beautiful illustration, we see that the centurion had risen to a higher plane of a spiritual appreciation of Jesus than most believers enjoy today. There has never been a more intense battle over the deity of of the man of Galilee than is being waged today. The great body of the church don't see as they have never seen the issue squarely. Neither have they realized the result of this struggle. Unfortunately, we have arrayed against the deity of Christ, a body of semi-intellectuals. There are scarcely a half a dozen who belong to the first rank, either of scholastic or intellectual strength, that have been engaged on either side. The debates that have been staged in different parts of the country have savored more of the barnstorming tactics of the modern political demagogue than of cold-blooded intellectual investigation into the merits of the issue. The deity of the man of Galilee is the crux of Christianity. If this can be successfully challenged, then Christianity has lost its heart, and it will cease to function. It will become a dead religion.
There's no denial that the challenge of his deity has already begun its reactionary effect upon society. And if Jesus is not deity, he's not Lord. And if he's not Lord, then he cannot interfere with our moral activities. If he's not Lord, then the laws that have been founded upon his teachings have lost their force. The morals that surround marriage with its lofty ideals have no basis of fact. If Jesus of Nazareth is not a revelation from God with divine authority, then he is but a man. And if he is but a man, all that we have built around him must be destroyed. We have built around this man our modern civilization. He's been the inspiration of young men. They have kept themselves clean and pure as they have looked upon his wonder life and sought to win his smile. Young women in the secret of their chamber have looked upon the face of the man of Galilee and have pledged to preserve the purity of their womanhood that they might be worthy of the love and confidence of the man who died 2,000 years ago for humanity. Children have been incited to obedience and purity by the example and teachings of that man. Businessmen have been deterred from crooked dealings by the consciousness that one day they would meet that man and give an account of the deeds done in their office. Men of all walks of life have felt a strange kinship with this man who walked the shores of Galilee solitarily among a multitude. To say he was but a good man is an insult. To say that he was the highest expression of deity in humanity is to throw the lie into his face. Jesus is or he is not what he said he was. <clears throat> we have no record of his sayings nor of his doings outside the four gospels. And if we repudiate them, then we have put a mythical picture of the man. And if we challenge one of them, we have a right to challenge all of them. Either he stands or falls on those four biographic, biographical sketches. And if he is not the son of God, who is he? I want to believe that he is an incarnation. I want to believe that he dealt with the sin problem. I want to believe that he died for my sins and that he rose again for my justification. I want to believe that he is seated at God's right hand today as the intercessor and mediator of the human race. I want to believe that what he said about heaven is true. In my father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Skepticism holds no guarantee for my future. Civilization has not only been built around this man, but he has been built into civilization. If you destroy his character, his standing, his place, then civilization must disintegrate. The wave of crime and lawlessness that is sweeping over the land is but a byproduct of the modernist challenge of his integrity. It might be a helpful study for us to notice the name in the plan of salvation and its relation to the believer in his Christian life. Matthew 1, 21 and 23 says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, 
for it is he that shall save his people from their sin. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is being interpreted, God with us. The name Jesus is inseparably connected with salvation. The very name is filled with music to a repentant soul. Acts 4 and 12 says, And in none other is there salvation. For neither is there any other name under heaven that is given among men wherein we must be saved. It is the one name through which the sinner approaches the great Father God. It is the one name that gives him a hearing. It is the one name that unveils to him the mediatorial ministry of Jesus, baptizing them into the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Repent ye and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ unto the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the, rift, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not only are we saved by the name, but the believer is baptized into the name. And we find in the same verse that not only are we baptized into the name, but on the ground of the name, we shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus gave us these promises of the use of his name in prayer. He said, whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, that will I do. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. John 14, 13 through 16, 15. Hitherto have you asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you shall receive that your joy may be made full. John 16, 24. In Acts 3, verses 1 through 6, we hear the Peter saying, Silver and gold have I none, but what I have, that give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Men are baptized into the name. Men pray in the name. Now, in that name, the impotent and helpless are made to walk. <clears throat> in Acts 16 and 18, we see the apostle Paul casting a demon out of a possessed girl, setting her free and stirring the city of Ephesus to the very foundation. What power that name has for the church today. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them, Matthew 18 and 20. The assemblies were taught that when they met, they gathered about that name. What a strange hush must have come upon the hearts of the disciples when they realized as they gathered in their little meetings that that name was the center around which everything revolved, that their prayers were addressed through that name, and in that name the sick were healed, and in that name the demons were cast out, in that name the Holy Spirit came upon believers, in that name they worshiped, and in that name the name of their absent Lord, all the work of the early church was wrought. In Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17, they were taught to do all things in that name. Ephesians 5 and 20, to give thanks always for all things in that name. 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. They were washed, sanctified, justified in that name. Hebrews 13 and 15, make confession to his name. James 5 and 14, anointing the sick in the name of the Lord. 1 John 3, 23, and this is his commandment, that we should believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, even as he gave us commandment. The new commandment was that they love one another and believe in that name. We can see by this that the name of Jesus touched every phase of the church life. And in those early days that it filled their it filled a place in their thought, in their prayer, and in their preaching, of which we are utterly ignorant today. May the Lord open the eyes of our hearts that we may know the riches of the glory of God that are hidden in that name. Now, most people know what they are worth financially. If you're a farmer, you know practically every acre of the land that your deed covers. If you own city property, or if you rent, you know, every room in the house. In this grasping world of ours, we attempt to utilize all our possessions. But in the spiritual world, how few of us really know, possess, or enjoy what our deed covers. The spiritual life is so little understood by even the wisest of us. You remember that Jesus said as he left the, the disciples, in my name, you shall cast out demons. And you also remember that a large part of his ministry was filled with combats with the unseen hosts of darkness. One would naturally think in reading our modern religious literature and listening to the average preacher's sermon that demons had gone out of existence or else they had been herded together in the slums of the city and were spending their entire time among the lower strata of humanity. Years ago, I was led to study this subject. I found that the scriptures taught a great deal about demons, their habits, influence, and power over men. When Paul was writing to the Ephesian church, he told them that their combat was not against flesh and blood, but against the principality against the powers, against the world rulers of this darkness. Writing to the Colossians, he said, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, salutes you, always striving for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. You notice that the word striving literally means to wrestle, struggle, or combat. What? With whom was he struggling? With whom was he agonizing? Surely not with the Father. The internal purpose of the Father is to bless men. And we know that prayer cannot change God's purpose in any ordinary sense of the word. Prayer may accelerate God or stir him up to come to our rescue or enlist his cooperation and sympathy and help in a time of need. But all through the revelation, there is breathed out here and there the fact of a hidden force that is intelligently warring against the purpose of God. In my own ministry for years, I found a great deal of trouble 
that perhaps every preacher or evangelist finds with certain types of people who are always trying and never seem to get settled in God. They were always standing up for prayers, but never seemed to get any further. Another class really seemed to get the light, but were held by some unseen powers. These people naturally caused me a great deal of trouble. I wondered how I could help them. And then one day, I was strangely led beyond myself to command that unseen power broken over a person whom it was holding. I prayed in the name of Jesus. I cried, in the name of Jesus, I command your power broken over this life. Instantly, the person was delivered, and I stood amazed at the effect. A strange fear came over me that I had been able to exercise by this simple command in Jesus' name, this marvelous power. And since that time, I have seen many startling results in revival services through using the name of Jesus. I found that the reason many men did not accept Jesus as their Savior was because they were held by the power of demons. The people are hungry. They want deliverance from sin. They crave eternal life, but they are unable, many of them, to break loose from the bonds that are holding them. Hundreds of people have said to me, I cannot become a Christian. I want to, but something holds me. And I have simply laid my hand on her shoulder and said, In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, I command the power that holds you broken. Now in his mighty name, get on your feet, and with tears of joy, they have obeyed. I have prayed with men who were held by habits of tobacco, liquor, lust, and in the same mighty name. I have seen them delivered, usually instantaneously. I have found Christians who were unable to testify or lead in prayer in public meetings who felt their mouths closed while their hearts cried for liberty. I have scarcely met a case for whom I have prayed in the name and over whom I have commanded the power broken, but what they have had immediate deliverance. In cases of divine healing, I have seen some cases that would move the country had they known of them. A woman who was almost blind was healed by the power of the name of Jesus, so that today she can read without glasses. Some have been cured of heart disease and various other infirmities. Many of those cases found it very difficult to take their healing. I prayed for them several times and found that the difficulty lay in the fact that they were held that they were bound by the power of demons, and they were delivered when I said, In the name of Jesus, demons leave the body. I can't conceive how successful work can be done today or how believers can be in a place of continual victory unless they know that the source of their danger lies in the demoniacal power and that the power to conquer it is in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, the Son of God. And the more quickly we recognize that the very air about us is filled with hostile forces who are attempting to destroy our fellowship with the Father and to deprive us of our usefulness in the service of our Master, the better it will be for us.
Three things are necessary in order to pray and take deliverance and victory over demons. First, we must be children of God. Second, we must not have any unconfessed or unforgiven sin in the heart. For if we do, the demons will laugh at our prayers. Third, we must know the power of the name of Jesus and know how to use it. Read the book of Acts carefully and notice how the disciples used the name. Listen, if your own life has been defeated and hemmed in by the power of the adversary, rise up in that almighty name of Jesus and hurl back the enemy. Take your deliverance, go and set others free, praise God. What does this, the expression in his name mean? We know that the expression in Christ as used about 130 times in the New Testament shows us the believer's position, his legal standing, his place in the family and in the purposes or program of God. When Jesus gave to the early church the right to use his name, that right that they were to represent him, they were acting in his stead. And when they prayed in Jesus' name, it was as though Jesus himself were praying. And I mean that we are taking Christ's place and acting as Christ's representatives. Christ is at the right hand of the Father. We are here as his representatives, not only collectively, but individually. And when we pray in Jesus' name, we are taking the place of the absent Christ. We are using his name. We're using his authority to carry out his will on the earth. And when we say, Father, we ask this in Jesus' name, we are praying representatively. We are saying, Father, Jesus is up there at thy right hand, and he gives us the he gave us the power of attorney to carry out your will on earth. So here is the great need. We ask thee in his name to meet it. That need may be for finances, it may be for power in ministry, it may be for salvation of souls, and it may be for the healing of the sick one. But we take Jesus' place and use Jesus' name just as though Jesus himself was there. The only difference is that instead of Jesus doing it, we're doing it for him. We're doing it at his command. He has given to us the same authority he had when he was here. And the believer's position in Christ gives him the same standing with the Father that Christ had when he was here. The unlimited use of the name of Jesus reveals to us the implicit confidence that the Father has in the church. <clears throat> this in itself is a challenge. The simplicity of Peter's use of the name of Jesus in the book of Acts compels us to believe that Peter knew he was acting in Jesus' stead with the same authority that Jesus had. And you'll notice he does not stop even to pray for a sick one. All he does is to say in Jesus' name, rise and walk. There's no hint that he attempted to exercise what we call faith in any manner. 
it reduced itself to a simple business proposition with the early church. They remembered what the master said and what he said was true to them. He said, whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, I will give it to you. They didn't argue about it. They didn't worry about it. They didn't stop to analyze what it meant. All they did was to act on the words of Jesus. And they didn't understand all that Paul afterward revealed to us in Romans, Galatians, and Ephesians. <clears throat> but they did know that Jesus had given them a right to use that name. And they entered into that right with the simplicity of a child. And it seems to me that this is what is needed to do today. In my name, you shall cast out demons. In my name, you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. This was given to believers. And we're believers, right? Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Is a declaration that is simple enough for anyone to understand. We have been baptized into that name publicly and spiritually. We have been put into Christ by the new birth so that we now are in the vine as one of the branches, and the vine is Christ. We are in Christ, and being in Christ, we have a right to use his name. And so in that name, we act representatively, legally. This glorifies the Father. This magnifies Jesus. This answers the need of humanity. Here is supernatural power that is available to every believer. And it's not a question of education or ordination, but merely a question of my apprehending my own true position in Christ. And they're using the power that has been legally given to me and to every believer. Oh, the wonder and grace of God. Well, Father God, in the name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that you have given us the power of eternity through the name of Jesus. And Lord, I ask and I pray that you make that you give us the boldness to go ahead and utilize that name to set the people free, to to, to extend the the kingdom. And Father, I praise you that everyone that hears this message is going to be renewed in their efforts to get close to you and to utilize the name that's above all names to bring the kingdom of heaven down here with us. And I praise you, Father, for doing that for all of us. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Well, folks, I'm out of time. God bless you. We'll see you next time. God willing. For information, materials, and to contribute, go to unleavenedbreadministries.org. Contributions only may be addressed to David Eels, Post Office Box 231616, Montgomery, Alabama, 36123. Your streams of mercy flow, oh Jesus, I trust in you. Oh, 
Jesus, oh Jesus, 